0: Welcome back, everyone. Um, sorry? It is. Uh, welcome back, everyone. Uh, so, Professor's going to be continuing the theme from the morning lecture how to ensure the stability of the new European currencies. Over to Professor. Thank you. Uh, well, I have done. So far was a little bit of the background. Now we are attending, uh, uh, <coughs> focusing more on the solution. We are in a very grave, very difficult situation. <coughs> the past 40, 41 years was. Uh, um, period of upheaval in the markets, pointing towards very deep uh, problems, very deep uh, uh, forces, destructive forces which have been released by the decision of the United States government under President Nixon to default on the international gold obligation of the United States. And uh, as a consequence, gold was withdrawn from the international monetary system. Not one single country carried on with the gold Standard. Gold was exiled, banned, exorcised, and the brave new world of paper money was declared. And that's in spite of the fact that in history there have been lots and lots of experiments with irredeemable paper money, and uh, every single one of them failed, and there is no reason to believe that this present experiment is any different. I mean, there are differences in formalities, embellishments, slogans, and... uh, uh, the suggestion is that we are so much better informed now, we have so much more knowledge at our disposal and these honorable and competent gentlemen at the helm of the international monetary system know exactly what they are doing and they will take care of all the on-to-word developments, they are in full control They've got this micromanagement, this fine-tuning possibility, which they didn't before, Mm -hmm. and so we can have full confidence in the system. Well, unfortunately, these are just slogans. The fact is what they don't know, basically, anymore. There has been no single thing (coughs) discovered and single theory developed which would justify this experiment. And uh, the the fact is that this experiment followed exactly the same pattern as all the previous ones. Governments have overspent and they went bankrupt and rather than declaring bankruptcy in an honest way, admitting that they have committed mistakes and the result is a consequence of these mistakes. They just put a brave face on it and they said, well, gold is obsolete anyhow. So the government of the United States did a favor to the world to get rid of that old superstition and throw it out, and go ahead, forge ahead with the the wave of future belongs to irredeemable currency. So let's get up. Now this has been the situation in the historical previous episodes of... Um, Irredeemable currency as well. Some government, whether it was the French, or the German, or any other, overspent and did not want to face the consequences in a in a way which would have been helpful to correcting the mistakes. But they uh, they put the blame on the on external things such as gold or speculators or this or that. So I would say that uh, in this episode in 1971 the mistake made was that uh, they... Uh, tr- try to cover up the loss of faith which the United States suffered because uh, default is always a shameful thing, especially if it's fraudulent. The United States had plenty of gold at the point when it refused to pay out any more. So, declaring bankruptcy was f- fraudulent on the face of it because <clears throat> <clears throat> the assets were there. And if gold was so uh, so unsuitable to be the basis of the monetary system then why didn't the United States let it go? And uh, this brings to mind another fable of Aesop. Aesop, the uh, Greek Uh, fable uh, teller, uh, who uh, wrote a book on these uh, various fables. They all have to do with animals and animals uh, talking and acting and so on. And In this particular one, Aesop talks about the fox, the fox who wanted to sample the grapes in the vineyard but the grapes were high up, and he was jumping, trying to catch the grape, and couldn't. So after a time, he had to give up. And then when he did, and left the scene, he said, well, the grapes were sour anyhow. <laughs> so that's the, uh, the funny part, the United States is pretending that the gold Or the golden grapes are sour anyhow. They are just no good. Well, of course, uh, of course, uh, it would be nice to have them, but since you have to have discipline, you have to have uh, uh, suitable policy, trade policy, uh, fiscal policy, monetary, and so on, to have it well. And you don't have that discipline, that concentration, that willpower, then it's easy to say the grapes are sour. Anyhow, we don't want them. But the, basically, this is a, uh, an effort to face, save, to save face. <coughs> sorry, save face for the United States. It, it, to uh, shift the focus away from shame and say so that this is the way of future we are doing something for the world, which is of course just a fable so that's the funny part, but the sad part is that the uh, that gold is uh, very far from being useless it's actually not only useful but it's um, it's uh Gold is uh, essential, indispensable, if you want to control the growth of debt. Because, uh, as I had opportunity to explain a couple of times earlier on in this course, gold is the ultimate extinguisher of debt. And if you throw it out, then total debt can no longer be controlled because all that, good and bad, stay um, in the system forever and ever. There is no way to reduce. Total debt can only grow. And as it grows, it's a threat. It's like the Tower of Babel in the Bible. People got together and they said that they can be smarter than God Himself, and they will prove this by building a tower. And, and the city where this tower was planned was called Babel. And uh, they uh, have all come together and wanted to build. That are as high as heaven to show uh, what human beings can do. And of course, according to the Bible, God uh, punished their conceitedness in a rather peculiar way, but a very, very efficient way. God confused their languages. That's how the different languages started. They, from one day to the next, they just didn't understand what the other fellow was talking about, and of course, such a project, building a tower to reach to high heaven, takes a lot of cooperation and planning, and if they lose the possibility of communication, then the their project is not going to be successful, so this is how God punished them, and of course, we know that the Tower of Babel was never completed. and in a very similar way, we can say that God is punishing us our leaders and their conceitedness, that they uh, that um, the God ordained world in which uh, that has to reti- be retired, has to... Uh, be extinguished for the system to have fresh blood, Uh, and gold is the instrument, gold is what does the elimination, Uh, gold is what does the extinguishing of that, especially bad that, but not just bad that, but all that. I mean, in time, that will become bad anyhow it cannot just survive forever. After a time, if it's not retired, if it's not repaid, then that is going to spoil. And now, this is uh, where God's punishment is upon us, instead of confusing our language, which is already confused, Mm -hmm. uh, God is confusing the monetary system. And a a prime example of this is what is happening to the euro. The euro which was um, declared as uh, the currency which solves a lot of problems. I mean, we can sympathize with the ideal of a common currency, which eliminates the necessity of changing money at border <coughs> crossing points, and uh, it helps trade. It certainly helps tourism, and uh, there is no reason to for different countries to have different uh, currencies and funny exchange ratios decimals and all that, it just doesn't make sense. So, uh, you can sympathize with the effort of trying, of the European uh, monetary system to try to have a common currency. But to pretend that this common currency is an artificial thing and it's based on debt, in a way, the euro is worse than the dollar. I mean, they are both bad, but if if you want to put it in historical con- uh, context, you might just observe that the dollar, at one point, was gold convertible. It was unconditionally gold convertible before 1933, then it was no longer Convertible domestically, but internationally, it was again convertible up until 1971, when uh, Nixon closed the gold window, which is just euphemism for a default, because that's what it was, and it shows the uh, bad con. Uh, con- Conscience? Consciousness? Conscious. Conscience of the governments that they cannot call a spade a spade. They had to invent some uh, nice uh, phrase. Close the gold window. Oh, very innocent little thing. Just close it. I mean, after all, the window has to be closed. <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't that. It was default. In plain language, and that is, uh, and that is the historical fact. Now, in addition to the politicians, which is Nixon and his his uh, cohorts, there was blame on the on academia and the name of Milton. Friedman stands out Milton Friedman had been advocating many years before 1971 a uh, so-called floating exchange system what Milton Friedman was suggesting is that you don't need gold and uh, it's in a way foolish to have gold because it's exp- expensive to uh, to mine it <coughs> and to uh, bring it up, refine it, and then lock it up again in central bank walls. This is just a foolish idea, according to him, and uh, what the world should do is go to floating, and the paper money of one country will float against the paper money of the other, and (coughs) unfavorable trade balances can be brought into balance through floating. The country which is running a deficit uh, is going to see a devaluation of its currency, a country with a surplus. Revaluation. Devaluation will discourage imports, revaluation will encourage it, and as the trade flows adjust to these changes in the value of currencies. The trade imbalance will be abolished, will disappear, will be eliminated and uh, that is a mechanism which works without a gram of gold. Well, there are several things one could criticize about this. And uh, the, the very first one, I would, uh, observation I would make is that uh, that uh, the, the idea indeed is very foolish, uh, as, as Friedman observed, to dig out gold in one country. By the way, Bernanke, in that particular lecture at George Washington University, also says this. I, we don't. We are not set up for the projection, but if you are. Uh, uh, look it up, you will see that he makes a big point at what is the point of digging for gold in South Africa only to ship it to New uh, refine it and ship it to New York and lock it up the, in the uh, vaults of the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. And uh, he couldn't be more right about that. It's absolutely, uh, absolutely stupid. What they should do is they should mint gold coins and let the people who have toiled for it, who have worked hard and saved hard, and that let them take care of and be the guardians of their own gold It's much better than having a central bank uh, and building these strong boxes uh, uh, Trezor was where they put the gold. So we are in full sympathy with Friedman and Bernanke and others who point out what a foolish thing is it is. But of course they did it. It was the governments and it was the central banks who withdraw gold coins from circulation. And I might add they have done it surreptitiously. It wasn't the people weren't asked. It just so happened that once the bank got the gold in ordinary payment, they refused to pay it out again and they pushed the paper and were draining the system of gold. And that was because the governments were were preparing for war and they. they knew the old adage that if you want war, they need three things, and it's gold, gold, and gold. Uh, because uh, during war, you still have to finance your uh, proc- uh, procurement of, uh, of uh, war material and paying the troops and uh, and. Uh, Running administration in occupied countries, and so on and so forth. So uh, this is the responsibility of the governments, and certainly it wasn't the vision of the people. Uh, the impression is made that people were very happy to get rid of. They thought gold was too heavy to carry on and uh, paper one is so much more convenient. Uh, but, uh, but of course, uh, the truth is that it's the choice of the people, freedom of the people to choose the kind of uh, means of payments they prefer. And for some purposes, it could be and it is uh, true that paper money is more convenient. But if you want to make sure that you are doing your purchases in the world uh, with the best Of conditions, you you are most efficient in doing your buying, and uh, people who sell to you are very happy to accept gold. Then, of course, gold is number one; it cannot be beaten, and certainly paper money is not a perfect substitute for gold. So there it is, this theory of Milton Friedman about floating. I want to, I want to go through it in a little bit of detail because I want you to see just how false this theory is. <clears throat> and not just false, but it's also dishonest. So uh, I refer to this uh, on paper uh, early on, on page three. Friedman's floating. So I'm going to uh, explain why Friedman's uh, floating is a, a false theory. It is a false theory for one reason. But ignores it ignores one very important fact, which is what we could call the terms of trade, and that's a concept which I want to explain rather carefully, because the whole matter turns on that concept. The uh, uh, terms of trade refers to the amount of imports which unit of export buys. So uh, let's assume that the country has lots of imports and lots of exports as well. And then the crucial question to ask about the efficiency of this trade from the point of view of this particular country is, how much import can you buy with a unit of export? So you have to define the unit of export somehow, whether you define it in terms of gold or silver or paper money. It doesn't matter because we may assume that for a certain amount of time the uh, paper money will not change its exchange value. So what happens is that if you devalue your currency you are going to be the loser because the terms of trade of that country, your country, is going to deteriorate. For the same unit of export, you will be able to buy a smaller amount of imports because you have devalued your money. You see? And this means that you are the loser. uh, you are giving up more goods for fewer goods in return as previously because of the devaluation. Now, I would say 99% of the commentators, uh, academic economists, government economists, private industry economists, take the exact opposite view. They say, it helps your exports. <laughs> well, of course, if you give, uh, give goods away, then you, you can uh, increase your exports beyond any limit. And the best uh, currency will be the currency which has zero value, the value of which has been reduced to zero if you carry this argument ad absurdum, to the point of absurdity. Um, And and of course, that's just a way to the poorhouse. You give away everything, and you uh, uh, increase your exports, but what can you show for it? Nothing. So you are going to starve and uh, suffer uh, shortages and so on and (coughs) so on. So the point is that the terms of trade of the devaluing country is deteriorating as a result of the devaluation and your competitors which gain uh, whose uh, currency is revalued valued upwards will Experience an improving term of trade. Their unit of export will buy more imports, which is, of course, the uh, explanation what happened between the United States and Japan, and I mean many other cases. But that's the the best example we have for 50 years. Japan has been running huge trade surpluses vis-à-vis the United States, and uh, Friedman and others came and said, well, that's because they have the wrong exchange rate. It's skewed, and the uh, Japanese will have to revalue in order to cut back their uh, trade surpluses. And, of course, Japan was a country which was defeated in World War II, and the country was and still is under American occupation, and uh, if the American government wants something to do in Japan, it won't take a lot of persuasion to do it, because uh, the Americans can browbeat the Japanese to bid their wishes. And that's what they did. And the Japanese meekly kept revaluing the yen against the dollar. Now in the year 1970 or 71, uh there was an exchange rate, I think I still remember. Uh, what it was. It was something like one dollar was worth three hundred some... Three hundred yen. Hmm? Three hundred yen. Three hundred Japanese yen. And this exchange rate was changed because of this foolish theory of Friedman and others, and the American...